Welcome to the podcast for Westside A Jesus Church. We hope this teaching encourages and empowers you to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus. So Tim kicked us off last week, new series, all about uh, the Holy Spirit. And he, um, he emphasized to us um, that kind of question, like, are you thirsty? And within the context of like, there's a battle for our thirsts. We were designed to consume God. We were designed with this thirst for God. Um, and, but that's not necessarily gonna come naturally because our, our thirsts are kind of broken. Sometimes we've got the wrong thirst. Sometimes we're trying to like satiate a thirst in the wrong place. And so we're gonna keep answering that question as we go through this series this summer. And our next big, and piece, uh, big important piece of the jigsaw is who is the spirit? And this question really matters. Um, if we're gonna, let's say, spend some time talking about the fruits of the Spirit or something like that, we're talking about like a result of something the Spirit does. But if we don't understand like who the Spirit is, you know, we, we've kind of got a bit further down the road than we should have done before we, we understood the foundational thing. It, it's, it, I was trying to think like, what's the analogy? And it made me think of like moving house. So stick with me, there is an analogy here. Um, and this is because we just helped someone move a couple of weeks ago. But when, when you help someone move, you know, you, you really want to bless them. You know, you, you're not just there for the free pizza, right? You, you want to help them get situated, feel like, you know, they can start doing life in a new place. But like, if, the, if you don't know what the boxes are and you don't know what the rooms are, you know, you leave and they're just like, oh, there's the saucepans in the bathroom. And uh, there's, a, there's a table in the bedroom and it's just weird. And it's not that helpful. And you're just, you're not oriented, okay? And so if we don't understand who the Spirit is, we're gonna start talking about things the Spirit does, and there's gonna be a disconnect. And I experienced this as a new believer. I don't know if you've ever had like those moments, if you're you know, like new to Jesus, um, if you didn't grow up in the church, where sometimes like the church just does weird stuff, okay? I mean, in this like materialistic world, frankly, like the idea that there's a God who's here, but you can't see him, is already freaky enough for like our modern worldview. So it is a challenge. And I remember like being in a church where people, they were excited to talk about like things the spirit does, like go experience the spirit. And um, just as like a new Christian, one of my first experiences of, of, of trying that, I had like no context, no idea of like God's character, how the spirit showed up, what, like, what it would feel like, what it would be like just no filters whatsoever. But I went home and I was like, oh, well, people said it's simple, you know, just like sit on your bed and just, just pray for God to come. I was like, okay, I sat on my bed and I just took my Bible and I was like, I guess I'll open my Bible. So just like, uh, Holy Spirit, like do something, open the Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I just read the first few words, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. <laughs> like I tell you, I did not open my Bible for a couple of weeks after that, that freaked me out. It freaked me out because I had, I had no idea what God was like, so I had no idea like, how to receive those words. And, but then I remember like, even, even just a, a short couple of weeks after that, um, I'd been reading in the Bible about how everything we do could be part of our worship and, and how the, the Spirit inhabits worship. And so I'd been reading a bit of Bible, thinking about it, I was at work, and I had this summer job, end of high school, and I'm, it's this massive industrial laundrette and I'm just folding towels, like mind-numbingly boring. But if you're OCD, like 
really therapeutic, just nice stacks of towels, really fun. But I'm, I'm just like contemplating the spirit, thinking like, oh man, like the, the spirit could show up now. Uh, and I nearly like, well, I had to go and sit down because the spirit just revealed himself in his love and like how good it was gonna be to grow in being unified with Jesus in a way that just knocked my socks off. But this time it didn't freak me out. I didn't have to run a mile because I understood a bit more about like who God was and it joined up with a conversation that was kind of rooted in, in the truth of who he is. And so that's, that's what we're gonna do and dive into. And so um, there are, I mean, I've, I've really had to fight this week against my OCD um, desire to give the complete picture of everything always. Um, so you can be grateful I thought we're not gonna be here for 16 hours. But we're gonna talk about three important things this morning and we're gonna talk about the Trinity and I was like, oh man, we are opening a can of worms kind of feels disrespectful. Can of goodness, like the Trinity's not worms, it's good, good stuff. Um, but I was like, oh, we, we need like more space for this conversation. So you are invited. This week, we're gonna do a midweek lecture. I say lecture, but I wanna have discussion and Q&A and find out what you want to know as well. Uh, we're not gonna do it tomorrow because we should all probably be eating burgers. Um, but we're gonna do it on Thursday. So if you come Thursday evening, 6 p.m., I'll be here and like bring your questions, bring a sandwich. I'm gonna have one, so don't be ashamed to bring you some food. Come on your way home from work. We'll spend a little bit of time talking a bit more about who the Spirit is within the Trinity and um, having some discussion. But for today, three things, let's dive in. And so if you wanna start any question, like any theology question, you go to the book of Genesis, that's like, ground zero for understanding anything to do with God. So once again, we're in Genesis at the beginning and, and we're trying to understand like, okay, I wanna understand who the spirit is, where does the spirit show up? Well, he shows up in the second sentence of the Bible. So it really doesn't take long to get there. So Genesis 1-2 says this, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So this is like right, as God's about to like push creation into its order, into its form, about to get things moving. And the spirit is pictured, poised, hovering over the waters, ready to do stuff, just as God's power is about to start working. And the word here, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. So like, if you wanna clear your throat, you know, really get in the back of your throat, like then you know you're saying the word correctly, ruach. Um, and in the ancient world, they had a really different worldview to us, and they, they kind of looked at things moving in the world. So it looked like the trees moving in the wind, the clouds moving in the wind, things like that. And we're like, oh, like, what's going on there? Like, why does that happen? You know, they, you, you can kind of feel the wind, but you can't see it. It's like there's an invisible force pushing stuff around. What is that? So the Hebrew word ruach is also the word for, for wind. But then they also looked at like human beings and were like, you know, well, well, we move. Like what's that animating force? What's that energy that actually takes us from like a lump of meat to like a living, breathing being? And they kind of connected the dots, the same idea, like, oh, you know, that, that breath, that wind that we have within ourselves, like there's an invisible kind of energy 
that you, know, you, you can't cut it out of someone. It's not a muscle. There's like something that makes things happen, makes us move, makes life happen. And it's really different. You know, we boil things down to like physics and chemistry and biology, but they had a different way of looking at things, but they're getting at the same sort of question that we might have. Like, why, why does stuff happen? Like, why is creation the way it is? How does stuff like get moving? How do we get moving? And so that, that idea of like an invisible, powerful force, that's why we have this word ruach in the Hebrew scriptures that's breath and wind also translated as spirit. And it brings into the foreground for us this idea as God, as this kind of powerful force, the spirit as this powerful force. And it's not just in the like kicking off creation. Um, in the next chapter, when humans get made, so Genesis 2.7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. So you've got like a body, but then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So life comes from God. This is this biblical worldview, like our life, our spirit, the thing that makes us able to move ourselves comes from God. And so the Bible's presenting the spirit as God's power. But it's not just kicking things off, it's not just kicking humans off, it's actually sustaining everything. So check this out, Psalm 104. When you hide your face, it's kind of dark. Uh, when you hide your face, all creatures are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. But when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. So it's really interesting. The spirit is at work, not just like kicking creation off, but actually it's almost as if all of our life is on loan from God, like God can take it away. Like this profound sense of like, like Paul said to, uh, to the Areopagites in the New Testament, we, we live and move in this being of God. You know, it's, it's something that's really present. Um, and, and not just when the spirit is sent, like life comes to creatures, but the ground gets renewed. And so there's this worldview here in the Bible, really different to ours, that God actually creates, like initiates things, but then also sustains them and keeps them going. And I've got a book recommendation for you. This is a massive idea. It's a really interesting thread to pull at in the scriptures, because I've, I've given us a few verses, but it's really in the forefront, and it then catapults us into the New Testament. And so this book, really awesome, if you want to understand more about the Holy Spirit and more about the Trinity, it's by Christopher Wright, one of my favorite theologians, and it's called Knowing God in the Old Testament. It's actually three books. It does Father, Son, and Spirit, and it kind of, for each person of the Trinity, traces like what the biblical idea is from the beginning all the way through the rest of the Bible. So get on Amazon, give that a read, Bible nerds, you'll love it. Um, so, so God's, he, he kicks everything off, the Spirit's power gets things moving, sustains things moving. But it, if like everything's happening within the Spirit, just moving the world along, have you noticed that things aren't going smoothly all the time? Yeah? So just because it's happening within like the spirit operating, moving, doing things, doesn't mean it's perfect, but God has a plan. 
Like this is part of the grand arc of the scriptures, that God is at work, not just creating, but new creating. He is actually trying to pull things back to restore, to redeem, to make all things new, to make things the way they're supposed to be. And what's really interesting is that whenever that's happening in scripture, the spirit's power is in the foreground again. So check this out again. All over the scriptures, I had to pick one place. So this is a favorite. And it's in the book of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is kind of looking at the people of God in exile and thinking, oh my goodness, it's over. Like, like where's the life? Where's the hope? Like how is God restoring ever going to happen? So he's, he's facing a kind of dilemma um, and he knows it's about more than just God's people being put in the right geographical location. Because he's like, man, we, like, the reason we've got a geographical problem is we got a heart problem. <laughs> that's, like, that's what exile's pointing at. So check this out in chapter 36, where uh, God now talks about how he's going to do the work that needs to be done for new creation to be a reality. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. So how's it gonna happen? Like how's this transformation gonna occur? Because God's gonna put his spirit in humans so that their spirit, the, the broken kind of version they've got, is gonna be supplemented by God's spirit and that's gonna change the game. Later on, Ezekiel is sort of contemplating the, the sort of same problem from another angle and he's picturing a valley of dry bones. God's sort of giving in this vision. And he's like, yeah, okay, dry bones, everything's dead, I get it. And then, well, we're, we're, so we need new life. And like the, the bones get sinews and muscles and skin. And he's like, great, but like, how, how is there going to be the right kind of life? And this, this is the next chapter of Ezekiel. It's a kind of analog of Paul in Ephesians talking about the fact that we are dead and we need new life. We actually need a different life, not just a way to keep living broken life. So that sort of problem, how's it going to happen? Well, listen to this. Uh, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the ruach. Son of man, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come Ruach from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life, stood up on their feet, a vast army. So like everything's happening, all this new creation, all this victory, all this fulfillment is happening where the spirit is doing stuff, where the spirit is active. Now, of course, the other big character throughout the Bible in the forefront of God doing this new creation thing is Jesus, the Messiah King. And so I want you to notice how active the Spirit is in Jesus. Because I think this is something like we, we've probably got a little bit of familiarity with like some of those prophecies that we know talk about the Messiah, talk about Jesus. And sometimes we, like, that's really exciting. We're like, oh, you're reading Isaiah. And you're like, oh, look, it's Jesus. Like, it's talking about Jesus. And then we don't notice, like, yeah, but look how much it's saying about the Holy Spirit. So check this out in Isaiah 11. 
So this is a prophecy talking about the coming Messiah and what he's going to do. So it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord, the ruach of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Like it talks about the branch and then it's like spirit, 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 spirit. And it goes on and on. And the New Testament picks up this theme. So again, I've picked a few favourites. But notice how often the New Testament talks about the spirit in the life of Jesus. And I'm just going to run down the list here. So right at the beginning, Jesus is born by the power of the spirit overshadowing Mary. And then he begins his work by being anointed by the Spirit at his baptism. And then straight after that, he's led by the Spirit. He goes into the wilderness. He returns from that time of testing in the power of the Spirit. Later on, he says he casts out demons by the Spirit. Um, It says in Hebrews that he offered himself to God through the Spirit. So the whole activity of the cross, Jesus is doing through the Spirit. And then the resurrection. Romans tells us that he's resurrected by the power of the Spirit. It's like over and over and over again, really interesting. We'll talk more about this Thursday, the way that the Spirit is in the foreground. And the really exciting thing for us is that Jesus is not unique in being this character that the Spirit kind of interacts with to do special things. Because this is, this is a theme. Jesus is not actually doing something extraordinary Jesus is setting a new norm for what new creation people are like. And it's been all the way through the Old Testament, and now it's really going to be let loose in the New Testament because God just loves to keep partnering with people. And when he does, over and over again, God's ruach, God's spirit, God's powerful presence interacts with people, enabling stuff to happen. It's, a, it's another distinctive of like what the spirit does, who the spirit is. The first person is Joseph in uh, chapter 41 of Genesis. And if you want to get hyped for the difference the Spirit can make in a human being's life, go, if you don't remember it from like Sunday school, go and read the story of Joseph, because it's really fun. Um, But here's a sort of, okay, why was this happening with Joseph moment? And it says uh, in chapter 41, Pharaoh asked them, he's asking his counselors, trying to understand this Joseph character. And he says, can we find anyone like this man one in whom is the Spirit of God. Like even Pharaoh could spot it. It was like, wow, the power this man's got is, is not a human power, it's not a normal power, it's a divine power. It's a power of the Spirit. One of my favorites is Bazalel. So when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, they're journeying towards the promised land and God's like, hey, I'm gonna like be present in the midst of you. I'm gonna give you a tabernacle. And God he, he really wanted this tabernacle to be filled with like art and beauty so he could communicate with his people through the art that kind of adorned the tabernacle. And he actually, like this is, uh, it's not a human endeavor. Again, it's a work of the spirit. So in Exodus 31, we get a description of how God does this. The Lord said to Moses, look, I've chosen Bazalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with a spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, 
and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for working gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Like God wants to bring beauty, wants to communicate through art, and actually the power of the Spirit is going to elevate and empower a human being to do something that they could never have done by themselves. And this continues on. Like it, it tells us about God's Spirit filling Joshua, the son of Nun, to lead his people along the plan God had for them. In the book of Judges, you've got people like Gideon and Samson who are filled with the Spirit to do miraculous things, miraculous feats of power to overcome oppression and to fight for justice. And of course, massive through the Old Testament are the prophets who over and over again are like filled with the Spirit, in touch with the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, influenced by the Spirit, to be able to declare to God's people the things he wants to tell them. And that theme continues on into the New Testament. Jesus told his disciples, you're gonna do even more than I did. And they must in that moment have thought, you what now? Like, how's that gonna, like, you're amazing. Like, we're not like, surely, uh, you sure Jesus, more? Right, and then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Game-changing moment, right? And, and then the Spirit arrives at Pentecost like a rushing wind. And that sort of windy presence, that breathy Ruach presence is a kind of temple-filling moment. It's sort of uh, greatest hits of the Spirit in the Old Testament imagery, bang, all appearing at Pentecost. And then the Spirit keeps empowering, influencing, working through the disciples. But we're not going to spend any time talking about that because we just did 10 chapters of Acts. So if you weren't paying attention, <laughs> go back, listen to all of those again, and then just keep reading the book of Acts, okay? So we're, we, we know, we, know we're, we should be really jazzed on the idea that like, the Holy Spirit loves to work in his church, all right? So the Spirit is front and center when God's power is doing something. The Spirit is kind of like God's hands, like sleeves rolled up, active. Like when, when God's divine power is like moving things, pushing things, influencing things, the Spirit is right in the foreground. But is Spirit, is Ruach just another name for God? Okay? So what we want to get at now is, okay, so the Spirit and power. Those two ideas really join up. But we use a personal pronoun when we talk about the Spirit. So is the Spirit a person? Is he personal? Yeah, is Ruach just another way of saying like God's oomph? Or is it, is it something a bit more nuanced than that? Well, when we talk about God's Spirit, it's not just another way of saying like a force or an energy. Sorry, Star Wars fans. It's not the universe we live in. Like really fun. But that, like the Holy Spirit, the force, different things. Because the Holy Spirit is personal, okay? And so I'm just gonna get us thinking. And this is like theologians have landed on this idea of like attributing to the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit is a person. By all the clues in scripture that sort of attribute to the Spirit these personal qualities. So let's just have a look at some of these. So the Spirit has opinions and ideas. Okay, like this stage doesn't have an opinion. This table doesn't have an opinion. Opinions and ideas, they're the kind of things persons, minds have. Like in um, Acts 15, 
um, it says uh, that it, they're kind of trying to figure out what God wants to do as part of his ongoing mission. And they say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything. And so like they, they could kind of figure out what the Spirit thought about something. The Spirit can be grieved and lied to. Like, I defy you to turn to the chair next to you, not the person in it, the chair, and try to make it upset. You can't do that because getting upset is something that people do. The spirit has a mind and wills things. Again, willing is a a real distinctive of like an active, alive person. The spirit performs his own actions. Like, the spirit does stuff. Like, you get a verb, like the spirit, and then a verb, like teaching, guiding, advocating, comforting, helping. Um, Like, all sort of the kind of actions that people do. The the spirit, goodness, like, keep saying the spirit over and over. It's like really hard. I'm struggling. The spirit thinks and speaks, okay? Again, turn to that chair next to you. Oh, chair, what do you have to say? It's, not, it's like nothing, because you know that's kind of daft. It's silly, because people speak. And the humdinger of all humdingers, the spirit loves. All right? Loving is something like a fully-fledged person does. I'd encourage you, like, take a picture. Like, just look some of these scriptures up. Read them later this afternoon. So the spirit is personal, is a person. But we're not out of the woods yet, because, okay, so is, is spirit's a person, but is, is the, the name the personal name, spirit, just another name for God? Is it just like a synonym for Yahweh? Or is there something different than saying like Father, Son, and Spirit? Now, some of you have been around a church a little while and heard of this thing called the Trinity, so you know the answer's no, it's not just the same, it's not just a synonym. But I didn't want to just say that. So let's have a look at a scripture that helps us see like what are the kind of clues in the Bible that lead us in this direction. So, 2 Corinthians, now it is God, which is the New Testament way of pointing at Father, the Greek word there. It's the Father who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. So God is doing something with us, putting us us in Christ, distinct. And he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in us. So like... On the stage is God and us and then Christ and then like another actor enters the stage, the spirit. All three are doing part of the same sort of divine activity of redeeming us, rescuing us, making us a part of God's family, but all three involved in slightly different ways. And that's, that's really where it gets practical for us. So the spirit's a person. He's part of this trinity, this one God that expresses himself through three persons. And those three persons are so united in love, so bound together in like perfect unity, perfect partnership, that whenever God does something, all three are involved. And it helps us understand a bit of like who the spirit is to see the way the spirit participates in the divine actions, the divine activity in a slightly different way. So the father, is often involved as the source, like the master architect in whose faithful, unchanging character and power we have security. Like the Father has plans and they're good and they're not gonna fail, so there's safety. Jesus is like the site manager of creation. The Father loves to send the Spirit on mission, 
giving him authority to go and make the plans a reality, which is really fitting because Jesus is the one in whom that new creation reality first gets inaugurated. And then the Holy Spirit is this powerful presence in the foreground when we kind of ask like, okay, so how is that mission gonna happen? So he's creating the universe, resurrecting Jesus, transforming hearts, giving messages to prophets, empowering miracles, right through to all the aspects it takes to live a godly life. So there's this threefoldness about who God is. And so we start to acknowledge that in the way we kind of pray and worship and serve. It really helps us grow into understanding who the Spirit is. But our last idea, so the Spirit is power, the Spirit is personal, the really important one, and guys, like, if you're drifting off, wake up, because I think this is the one that, as I was praying for us this week, I think God wants to push in the foreground for us, is the Spirit is present. So the Spirit is not like a person who sits in mission control, sending power out to those who are far away, okay? He, his power is present because he is that power. Like his power manifests because he, the person himself, is actually present. And that's going to be really important for us to remember this summer as we sort of unpack the spirit and talk about like language around the spirit. Like we might talk about things like, oh, she's really full of the spirit. Okay, when we say she's really full of the spirit, I don't mean like, yeah, I think like she got three scoops and I only got one. You know, like she got, because the spirit is not a substance, the spirit is a person. So the right kind of categories in our mind when we're trying to drill down to what's going on are relational ones. When we say she's full of the Spirit, we mean like she is so deeply connected. Like the relationship is so all-encompassing. She's so influenced that it's right to say she's full of the Spirit. And and these relational terms, they, they kind of pull us back to something really profound. So here's a provocative thought for you. If the Spirit's a person, not a substance, we kind of get the right, the right framing. You have, right now, if you belong to Jesus, all of the Spirit you are ever going to have. Right? And I say that again because it's really important because the enemy is going to come against this, your feelings are going to come against this, your experience is going to be like, no, I don't think that's true. But theologically it is. You have all of the Spirit you are ever going to have. Now, there's loads of room for you to grow in your relationship. Not just you, me, all of us. We've got so much room to grow in the relationship. But God has given all of himself to us. Um, Jesus, he, he really wanted to emphasize this idea to us. In John 14, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. He will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I do not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus knew like when he ascended, his followers were gonna be like, oh no, it's just us now. It's not just us now. That's not true. Jesus said, like, I would never leave you that way. I'm not going to leave you alone. I am going to send the Spirit because you are designed for relationship. That thirst you have to be like tight with God, to experience that withness with God is something God cares about right now. And Jesus points it out and says, I'm going to give you the Spirit. 
that the Spirit creates this little bit of like new creation gardenness in us. It's like new reality. Um, it's, uh, here's a funky word for it. The Spirit creates a homunculus of new creation. All right, that's a weird word. So I was kind of thinking like, what's the right way to say this? And I was gonna say it creates a seed, which is a biblical image. But we think about seeds sometimes a bit differently than the Bible does. So when we say seed, sometimes we can kind of think, oh yeah, the potential is there. Like the, the potential for a new reality, but it's not sprung to life yet. Like, no, nah, that's not actually what the Bible's getting at. See, a homunculus was this idea that every creature begins as a small, teeny tiny, but perfectly formed version of itself. So like inside every sperm is a perfectly formed human that just has to grow. Like that's what the spirit has come in and created within us. Like, it, it's got to grow out. It's got to expand. But new creation reality is as real as anything about you. It's there because God has put all of himself within you. And, and it's profound. It is so profound. Um, Jesus, he kind of, in, in John 14 to 16, pulls back the curtain on just how profound it is. I just want to read a few scriptures to get you think about this. He said, believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This is where we need like a whiteboard and a Venn diagram. So here's the Father, okay? And Jesus said, I am in the Father. So they overlap. And he's talking like relationship, unity, experience, okay? Totally overlapping. But then Jesus goes on and he says, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So now Jesus is pointing and like, okay, here's me, and he's like, you're in me, and I'm in you. We overlap too. And you're like, but you just said, but what about, oh, it all overlaps. That's the profound truth, the kind of presence, the kind of relational reality that is on offer by the Spirit is that the kind of experience of love and union that the Trinity have, they're opening the door to and saying, come in, this is for you too. This kind of love is for you too. Like God, he has not left anything out. He has not withheld, he has not left anything on the table. Like Colossians 2 says, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So when, when God took the son and put him in a human form, in a human life, he didn't have to leave anything out. It vindicates that God's design works. Human image bearers can fully 100% bear the image of God because we are designed for relationship with God. It works. And that fullness, we have been brought to. Wow, God has given us so, so much. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond with something like more than just surprise, right? And, and partly we need to keep learning about the Spirit, but we're doing that this summer. Good job, keep coming to church, keep reading the Bible. But, but it's also, it's about growing through being attentive to our relationship with the Spirit. Like growing in our awareness to this powerful, personal presence to, to have it affect like our prayer, our worship, our service, how we, 
how we think, how we live, everything about us, to grow in satisfying that thirst we have. And I was trying to think this week, like one way to think about this is, okay, God, you're, you're bigger than I, than I thought, and you've offered more of yourself than I could have imagined. What's the small box I have that you want to point at and say, that's too small. Throw that away. Have bigger expectations. Have a bigger box. And so I've got a list for you just to, to think about, not exhaustive. Right? I, I think sometimes we interact with the spirit like he's a consultant. Like, hey, I'm stuck. I need a suggestion. But the spirit doesn't want to just suggest. Remember, he's the power that wants to go make that thing that needs to happen a reality. He's much more than a consultant. He wants to be on staff in your life. Like he wants to be on the team. Sometimes we think of the spirit like a therapist. But the thing is, the spirit doesn't just provide like an external voice to help. He actually wants to do the work of healing. Okay? Your therapist, your counselor, like a psychologist, can't reach into your soul and just change things. You have to do the work. The spirit is in you saying, yeah, yeah, you don't have to do it alone though. I can do stuff too. Sometimes we think of a spirit like a crisis manager. Okay? And God, this is like a big thing. God loves to rescue. I mean, we've got a ministry called Hear the Cry that comes from this idea that God loves to rescue. But if you think the Holy Spirit is only interested in your crises, you're missing out. Like Paul, Paul said, he gives us everything we need for a godly life and wants to rescue us from all evil. I mean, that doesn't really leave any of life out. Like all the bad stuff and all the good stuff, the Spirit wants to be involved in all of it. Sometimes we think you know, that the Spirit's power is like a miracle working power. So the Spirit comes in the foreground of our expectations when your neighbor's like, I, I got cancer, would you pray for me? And you're like, oh, big prayer, okay, we need the Spirit. But what about when you're having like that, I'm about to have a parenting fail and lose my rag, and you need power to not have an angry spirit? The spirit is interested in being the power you need there too. It's not just miracle working power, it's power for everything. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as being like a question answerer, which is great, God loves to answer our questions, but you know what, the Holy Spirit also wants to lead us in a path, and some of that path we're not even asking about. He's got answers for things we don't even know to ask about yet. There's so much more. And some of us, we think of the Holy Spirit as like a made-up word of the week, a make-feel-gooder, all right? Because we're exhausted and we're tired and we've had enough and we're like, okay, you know, Holy Spirit, you're a comforter. And the Spirit does. And he brings that comfort and he gives us that like moment of peace and safety to escape. But if that's all the interaction with the Holy Spirit we have, we're missing out because from that place of safety, he grabs us by the hand and says, all right, now let's go into Monday morning together. All right? He does it all with us. Last one, sometimes we think of the Spirit as ministry empowerer. All right? So if you're like, like Geordie, like I'm going I'm to lead worship today. You know, I, I bet he was trying to be aware of like the Holy Spirit's role in his life. But the Holy Spirit isn't just interested in our ministry. Well, he kind of is and he isn't. Actually, Jesus said, all of our life is ministry. All of our life is sacred. Our parenting, chatting to a neighbor, those like chance encounters, like all of it. The Holy Spirit is interested in all of it and he's given all of himself to all of you. Nothing is withheld. All right, let's, let's stand. Let's pray.
So we ask you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who knows us, like what is the, the expectation we have of you, Holy Spirit, that you want to challenge us in today? What's the thing that you want to do where you say, hey, I have more for you? Like, does, does one of those words, is it supposed to resonate with us? Is it supposed to make us think of something today? Just show us, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, like one of the distinctives about you is you're a, a revealer of truth. You show us what's true and how to respond to it. So as, as something kind of stirs in us of like, yeah, I kind of, I need to grow that way. What's our next step? How do we grow? How do we move forward? Thanks for listening to this teaching from Westside at Jesus Church. If you've been blessed by our ministry and would like to partner with us through giving, please visit westsideajc.org give.